That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. It's a personal finance show. It's on money. How it works. How to invest it. How to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 193, and it's titled, Why Plan If Life is So Unpredictable? I recently read an article by John Thornhill in the Financial Times magazine. It was titled, Eyes in the Sky, A Revolution in Satellite Technology. Thornhill profiled the company Planet and its co-founders, one of which was Rob Shingler. He had previously worked at NASA, but he grew frustrated there. He found that the organization was so focused on operational perfection rather than commercial opportunity. He described it as NASA's insistence that it run exquisite, state-of-the-art missions meant that failure was not an option. Especially after the space shuttle Challenger blew up in 1986, killing all seven crew members on board. Thornhill goes on, it says, satellite designs therefore had to be built had to build in a lot of redundancy, leading to a spiraling of size and cost. Shingler says something that could have been the size of a table turned into the size of a room. We could have, what could have been done in two years turned into eight. That idea of failure not being an option reminded me of a quote by Yoshida Kenko. He was a Buddhist monk born in 1283. He lived in Kyoto, Japan. I profiled him or introduced him in episode 66. He was a poet and became a Buddhist monk in his late 20s. And his work is titled Essays in Idleness. Essays in Idleness, fascinating. But a lot of contradictions as you read his various quotes. But the one I remembered was, he wrote, a man who was studying archery took two arrows in his hand and stood before the target. A man should not hold two arrows, his teacher told him. You will be careless with the first, knowing you have a second. You must always be determined to hit the target with a single arrow you shoot and have no thought beyond this. Just shoot one arrow. That's what is NASA's philosophy. We don't get a second chance. We've got to get it right the first time. Thornhill continues in the Financial Times article. Planet adopted a radically different iterative approach to satellite development by embracing risk rather than trying to mitigate it. The company moved quickly to launch dozens of simple, low-cost satellites known as CubeSats into low orbit. If some of its satellites failed, that did not matter as long as the network remained intact. So long as CubeSats, and here's the key phrase, were good enough, 
They did not need to be perfect, just good enough. Their tiny size significantly reduced manufacturing and launch costs, enabling operators to piggyback on others' mission. These CubeSats, nano-satellites, some as small as 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters, costing as little as $20,000. Now, they're not high resolution. They're good enough. You cannot make out the make of a car, but they take a picture every single day all around the world. And then Planet sells the data, imagery, to anyone willing to pay, and some gives it away for free. Thornhill describes that farmers can use the imagery to estimate crop yields around the world. Investors are counting the number of oil storage tanks in China, estimating consumption trends, while human rights campaigners campaigners have used it to map the flight of Rohingya population from Myanmar. All these different things. We can measure the shrinkage of glaciers, the expansions of cities, the deforestation of remote wilderness. Good enough. Not high resolution, but good enough. It was a concept that I first became aware of in reading about disruptive innovation by Clay Christensen. Now, turning back to Kenko, because we're trying to decide, do you just do your planning good enough? Or do you make sure you build in redundancy so, no, you can't fail at all. Never fail. Here's what Kenko says. You can decide to do something today, but before you manage it, some unexpected and urgent business will rise to overwhelm your plan for the day. Or the person you're waiting for is unable to come, or someone unexpected arrives, or something you are relying on and turns out differently. So that only things that go well are things you hadn't anticipated. Matters that threaten to be difficult proved easy. Well, those that should be straightforward turn out to cause you great pains. The progress of each passing day is quite unlike your anticipation of it. And the same goes for a year and for life. Yet, he goes on, if you assume that everything you anticipate will go awry, you'll find that in fact some things don't which makes it all the more difficult to plan. The only certain truth to learn is all is uncertain. You plan, things don't go well. Things you thought would go be real easy end up being difficult. So how do you plan your life? How do you plan your financial life, your retirement? Do you assume everything will go as planned and you make sure that failure is not an option? Or do you assume, I'm planning. Nothing will go as planned, so why even bother? Have to strike the right balance. Recently, on Money for the Rest of Us Plus, is a weekly Q&A show that I do for members. A member had sent me an email. He had a good fortune. One and a half million dollars is what he got when his company did an initial public offering. He had more wealth than he ever thought he would have. But he was finding it overwhelming. He wasn't used to having that type of assets. 
his net worth was approaching $2 million. So he hired a financial planner who ran through a number of financial scenarios and then showed the probability of success. That probability range, some of them 73% chance of being successful, not running out of money, not facing retirement ruin. Others were 91%. Would you go on a trip or start a business knowing that there was a 9 to 27% chance of failure? What about a medical procedure? I recently did this. I used Portfolio Visualizer. Great website, a lot of tools. One of them is Monte Carlo Analysis. And I just wanted to do just real simple planning. I assumed 26% in U.S. stocks, 24% in non-U.S. stocks, 50% in bonds. Million-dollar portfolio. Going to use this 4% spend rate. So going to spend $40,000, 4% in the first year, and adjust that for inflation. How did it do? In this Monte Carlo analysis, doing simulation, 10,000 simulations, different paths, things that could happen. 97% probability of success for a 30-year retirement. 94% for a 35-year retirement. When I lowered the initial spending rate to 3.5%, 99% probability of success in 30 years and 98% 35 years. That scenario didn't run out of money, except I used historical returns, backward looking, which was exactly what that financial planner had done for this plus member. That probability of success, 73 to 91%, was based on assuming bonds would return 4.8% in those scenarios. That's mathematically impossible, given where yields are now. We've talked about that in earlier episodes. The best predictor of the future return for bonds is its current yield to maturity. Or in the U.S., what's known as the SEC yield, which backs out the fees. But that, that's what the returns would be. But he used 4.8%. And for stocks... The average return for the different stock asset classes he used, U.S., small cap, international, was 9.8%. Now, that's possible, but not likely given valuations. So I redid my analysis that showed 98% chance of success, and I used not historical returns, but expected returns, 5% for U.S. stocks. 6.2% for non-U.S. stocks. 3.5% for bonds. I was assuming an active bond manager and some non-investment grade bonds. Chance of success, if you spend 4% in the first year retirement, only 58% success, probability of success in 30 years. 42% in 35 years. Using reasonable assumptions. If I used a 3.5% rule, it was a 77% chance of success for 30 years and 30, 62% for 35 years. That can be discouraging when you do that analysis. It's such a 
low probability, 60, 70% chance. But that's what the numbers are. I found that same level of discouragement when I worked with endowments, university endowments, foundations. We would do an analysis. We would do Monte Carlo analysis. And we would show if you use your current spend rate of four and a half, five percent 5%, and we assume something reasonable for inflation, in that early analysis, I, I share with you, I used 2.5% inflation. So let's say an endowment spent 5%, and we assume 2.5% inflation. That meant their target return was 7.5%. And I'd run that analysis, and it would show you about a 60% chance of achieving it. It's discouraging. Stop showing the number. <laughs> I started presenting it in a different way. What do you do? It gets even more complicated. On Money for the Rest of Plus, we use a building blocks approach to retirement, figuring out what's a reasonable expected return for stocks, that 5% expected return for U.S. stocks based on 2% dividend yield assumes some corporate earnings growth, the dividend growth, and then that valuations will not be as expensive as they are 10 years from now as they are today. And this member, Greg, was it kind of, you know, this analysis is similar to what Research Affiliates does, GMO does it, you know, big institutional firms. It's how my former advisory firm does it. It's how Jack Bogle talked about doing it in most recently in a paper called Oakham's Razor Redux, establishing reasonable expectations for financial market returns. And Greg took that data from that Bogle paper and he found that the range of the return, he made a reasonable assumption. Their model had a correlation of 067 If it was perfect, it would be 100% correlation. It was 67% correlated. But if you look at the returns, if the model predicted a 0% return, Greg found that a decade later, the returns were negative 5 to positive 17. When the returns, the expectation was higher, let's say 10%, the returns were were between 5 and 19%. A really wide range. Bogle wrote in the paper... In all, it seems fair to conclude that the establishment of rational expectations for subsequent decade-long returns on common stocks using the model has been effective. Effective with such a wide range of returns. Greg used to run these stochastic economic models and he found that if he set the expectation and then set the range, that his range was often too narrow. And he asked me, why don't you just show the range? Because on Money for the Rest of Plus, we show the expectation and a range for each asset class, and then it it does it for the entire portfolio. But he asked, if you just showed the range, people would basically would freak out. He said they might revolt because in school, we're taught that there is a right answer not a range of possible right answers. But good enough planning, we have ranges. Another challenge is getting our timing right, such as when to retire. 
Kenko, in Essays in Idleness, writes, If you would take the world in its own terms, you need, above all, to read the mood of the moment. If the timing isn't right, your words will grate on your listeners and upset them. And your plans will come to nothing. You must know how to recognize such occasions. In other words, wait until the time is right. But then he contradicts himself later in the book. He says, there is no choosing the moment. However, when it comes to illness, childbirth, or death, you cannot call these things because the time isn't right. The truly momentous events of life, the changes from birth through life, transformation and death, are like the powerful current of a raging river. They surge ever forward with a moment's pause. Thus, when it comes to the essentials, both in religious and in worldly life, you should not wait for the right moment in what you wish, wish to achieve, nor dawdle over preparations. Your feet must never pause. What do we do? Can we get the timing right? Do we not try to get the timing right? Do we realize we only have one shot, one arrow, and be like NASA with multiple redundancies and recognize failure is unacceptable ever? Or should we be more like the company Planet? If some of its satellites failed, it just didn't matter as long as the network remained intact. It survived for another day. Let me pause here to share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
In episode 158 and 159, I introduced the book by Richard Bookstaber titled The End of Theory. And a couple of my favorite quotes from that book help us answer this question. How do we plan when life is so unpredictable? He writes, economists think that they have things figured out, but our economic behavior is so complex, our interactions are so profound that there's no mathematical shortcut for determining how they will evolve. The only way to know what the results of these interactions will be is to trace out the path over time. We essentially must live out our lives to see where they will go. There is no formula that allows us to fast forward to find out what the result will be. The world cannot be solved. It has to be lived. So does that mean we don't plan? We don't use retirement calculators? We don't use, for example, the asset allocation tools that you can find on Money for the Rest of Plus? Kenko once asked a skilled player of Sugoroku to board games similar to Backgammon for hints on how to play better. Don't play to win, he said. Play not to lose. Consider what would make you lose more most quickly and avoid them. What moves would make you lose most quickly and avoid them? Choose a method that will make you lose after your opponent, even if only by a single square. Kenko says this lesson from one who knows his art equally applies to the art of governing both self and nation. We plan, we do financial planning, even if it shows the probability of success is 70%, because it helps us avoid huge mistakes, catastrophic errors. We don't, if you do a Monte Carlo analysis and it shows 25% probability of success, you got to change something, not spend as much. Can't wager your retirement putting it in Bitcoin. We plan to avoid the big errors, the fundamental catastrophic mistakes. But we live day by day in order to be flexible and keep our air small and make adjustments. Make mistakes, but we keep the network intact like the company planet. Make sure we survive another day. Another way to do that, Kenko describes, is maintain a clear space on either side and nothing will obstruct you. Margin of safety. So you get this clear space. Keep open before and behind you, and you will be unimpeded. If you let yourself be hemmed in, you can get squeezed to the breaking point. Without care and flexibility in your dealings with the world, you will find yourself in conflict and be damaged. We need to use care and flexibility. A member recently on Money for the Restless Plus mentioned he has a choice between a pension that'll pay $1,900 a month for the rest of his life, or he could take a $330,000 lump sum. $1,900 a month is about a 6.9% spending rate. Take the pension. That allows some, some flexibility because now you have this guaranteed income stream to 
You might you still have investment portfolio, but you have multiple streams of income. I talked about this in episode 32 of the podcast, Die Broke. And also, I just recently released season three of Topics by Money for the Rest of Us. It's on retirement. In that episode, Die Broke, we talked about single premium immediate annuities, a way to create this income stream for the rest of your life. This redundancy to avoid, if something goes wrong with your your actual investment portfolio, you have this other income stream. Other things we can do to maintain that, that white space, that flexibility, is have pockets of independent outside financial system, the system. Don't have all your money tied to the stock market. Have things outside of that, real estate. We plan the best we can. Then we live our lives day by day, year by year, and we adjust. The world cannot be solved. It has to be lived. We do as Kenko says. We read the mood of the moment. We can make adjustments as conditions change. My family and I recently attended the Banff Banff Mountain Film Festival. And one of the films on there was a documentary. It was called Twin Into Twin Galaxy. Featured Sarah McNair Landry, Ben Stooksbury, and Eric Boomer. They used satellite technology, Google Earth, and they saw this river in Greenland. And they wanted to go there to kayak. But the only way to do it was to kite ski 600 miles across ice. I've flown over Greenland. It's amazing. You look down. It's ice. So they kite skied. And they had challenges. The wind picked up Sarah's kite, lifted her off the ground, and threw her down. She injured her back. They lost, I think, a week. Then they made it all the way across the ice, and they're ready to kayak down the river. And it was frozen. They had to drag their canoes for miles under ice bridges. They found a lake, and then they thought, we're going to get to the river. A different one. It was a stream. Then they had to portage across land to find a river they could actually kayak in. It was a long journey. But they took the journey. Kenko writes, going on a journey, whatever the destination, makes you feel suddenly awake and alive to everything got to go on the journey. Don't dawdle over our preparations. You must, your feet must never pause. LeBron and I are leaving today on a journey. Going to travel the southern U.S. for two to three months. We'll see. But I only planned out a couple weeks at a time. Things won't go as planned, but we're on the journey. We're going to get bruised scars, bumps as we travel. I had an unfortunate situation. Had a blood vessel on my nose. Looked like I had a big zit on my nose. I thought, I gotta get this. I can't go the rest of my life with a zit on my nose or this basically looked like one. So I did intense pulse light therapy at a local dermatologist. Worked great. But I also have these blood vessels on my neck and I wanted to get that fixed. So I thought, ah, it worked so well on my nose. Let's do my neck. So they used a bigger light pulse. It was like getting branded, shocked. It's awful. My neck didn't like it. It blistered. Then it scarred. I now have a red neck with white scars. 
I could sue. But what good would it do? It's not going to take away. I still have, I still have these scars on my neck. One's shaped like it's Harry Potter like. It's got a lightning bolt. But Kenko says, very often there will be pieces of furniture in a house that disappoint with their crassness. Not that one should always have excellent furniture, of course. I speak here of items where the desire to protect from damage results in tasteless and unattractive work. We can't live in a way that we're never damaged. Now, we talked about furniture in episode 187, dollars and cents, and Gustav Stickley, the, the Kenko's quote was, you know, I bought some furniture from him. But Kenko says, you know, we don't want furniture that's tasteless and unattractive because we're, it, they've tried in some ways to add unnecessary bits, decoration to keep it from getting damaged. He gives another example. He was talking to a Buddhist monk, Tan, and had mentioned somebody complained that a, a scroll says, it was a great shame the way fine silk covers are so soon damaged. But the monk said, it's only after the top and bottom edges of the silk have frayed or when the mother of pearl has peeled off the roller that a scroll is truly impressive. Kenko says, similarly, an unmatched set of books, bound books can be considered unattractive. But Bishop Koyu impressed me deeply by saying that only a boring man will always want things to match. Real quality lies in irregularity. In all things, he says, perfect regularity is tasteless. Something left not quite finished is very appealing. A gesture toward the future. Someone told me that even in the construction of the Imperial Palace, some part is always left uncompleted. We're not complete. We have scars. We're irregular. And that's good. That's what we want to be. That's what makes us unique. And we're not complete because that is the gesture toward the future. So yeah, we plan, we do our best, but we avoid the big mistakes as much as we can so we can live another day and we live our life because it's never going to be solved. We'll get our scars, we'll get our bumps, but boy, we'll have a great life. Final remark just shows how conflicting Kenko is. He says, do it this way, and then he says something else. He writes, if nothing will be gained by changing something, it's better not to do so. Not to change it. You get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, you can sign up for my free insider's guide. I'll send you an email each week with those links and an article, an essay, some of my best writing each week. And while you're there, we're going to reopen Money for the Rest of Us Plus next month and get on the waiting list so you can get take advantage of the best pricing that will be available on Money for the Rest of Us Plus. You can sign up there on the homepage. Everything I share with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific situation, your particular financial situation. I'm just providing general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.